Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would, get your Bibles open over to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. In this particular passage of Scripture, this is uh, just previous to Jesus starting his public ministry. Um, it's immediately following his baptism. <clears throat> um, so Jesus' baptism, and, and one of the things we want to, we're going to look at two different sides of this. One, this passage of Scripture as it affects Jesus Christ and his ministry, as well as the, the line that it draws to each and every one of us um, that the Lord's trying to speak to us as well through Jesus Christ's experience. Um, we are uh, we are creatures of the fallen nature, imperfect individuals. Uh, the devil, in the same way that he works very hard to try to sidetrack Jesus Christ in this particular passage of Scripture, he uses the exact same game plan with each and every one of us. Um, he, in many cases, will even do what he did in, in this particular case and use scripture to try to um, <clears throat> to derail Jesus. Tries to use scripture to derail us as well. Of course, the scripture as it's intended wouldn't derail us, but the scripture as the devil twists it, um, he, he's a pretty crafty feller. And uh, and I can tell you that, you know, that this is one of the models and principles uh, that, that I use when I tell people, I mean, me being in ministry 30 years, and being ordained as a deacon and uh, a youth pastor for 12 years and being ordained into the gospel ministry um, over those 30 years, I can tell you, just as I've told anybody who goes into any type of ministry, and it doesn't really matter if it's, if it's teaching a Sunday school class or it's going into, um, going into an ordained ministry, if we are individuals who, who, um, give ourselves over to the Lord for his service, Satan is going to attack us. Not might. Will. It's a, it's, it, and I'm telling you now, this is a heads up, hopefully not to deter you from being faithful in a calling that the Lord may have on your life, uh, because I can tell you that uh, when you find yourself under attack by Satan, you're doing something for the Lord. Uh, it, and, and I've said for a long time that if you live your life in absolute and total peace, then Satan likes what you're doing. Because if you're doing something that's, that's pushing forward the will and the plan and the purpose of God, Satan will do everything that he can to try to throw a monkey wrench into that. Uh, even in our, even in our passion for Christ, even in our passion for his word, uh, the devil will do everything that he can to try to manipulate and twist uh, the word of God to try to push us off course. And he does this in, this in this passage of scripture. I should say he tries to do that in this passage of scripture uh, regarding Jesus. So this is right after uh, right after Jesus' baptism in uh, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. And verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Something important to note, the greatest opportunity for attack from Satan will come in your weakness. 
It'll come at your weakest moment. I don't know about you guys, but fasting 40 days, I wouldn't be hungry. I'd be hangry. Uh, That's like the trifecta with me. If I'm tired and I have a headache and I'm hungry, I need to go to the Mount of Olives by myself for a while. Um, Could you imagine Jesus not eating for 40 days and the devil waiting through that 40-day period? Now, there are some theologians who have said that the temptation wasn't just at these 40 days or after these 40 days, but Jesus Christ would have been tempted throughout those 40 days. For the sake of the passage of Scripture we'll be reading today, it points out the temptations that were following the 40 days. But for 40 days, Jesus was wandering around in the wilderness. makes good sense to me that the devil was probably not leaving him alone while he was wandering in the wilderness for 40 days. But he really turned up the heat when the 40 days had completed. And we're going to look at some of the ways that he actually appealed to Jesus Christ in this. And, and uh, something, to, to, something to notice, Jesus Christ is being tempted in the exact same way that we are. The three areas of temptation, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. The three things that created, the, the three things that accomplished the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the three things that Satan is being tempted with, the three, or that Jesus is being tempted with, tempted with, and the three things of which we are tempted with um, as well. Verse 3 says, The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, before we go any further, I want to point something out in here, because this is the correct use of the word, but it has a different definition here. The word if. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Satan didn't know who Jesus was? Absolutely, Satan knew who Jesus was. I mean, how would he not know who Jesus was? Satan, um, Lucifer, how did, how did he come on the scene? He was created by God, right? Lucifer had a relationship with Jesus before Jesus became man. Lucifer knew of Jesus in his, in his deity form before Jesus even became man. He knew who Jesus was. So this isn't, this isn't, uh, Satan trying to tempt to find out whether Jesus is Jesus. Um, in, in, the, in this particular passage of Scripture, the word if means since. The definition of the word if is since. So when you read it that way, and the tempter came and said to him, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. His t- first temptation was related directly to the fact that Jesus Christ would have been hungry. Um, him being hungry would have made it more possible for him to try to, t- to trick Jesus. In verse 4, though, Jesus says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's important to note that every one of these quotes that Jesus Christ makes back to Satan comes out of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, is when Israel wandered in the wilderness, and many times they failed. In these cases, Jesus doesn't fail, but he is quoting Scripture back to Satan. We'll see in a minute just how sly the devil can be. But it's important for us to note with what Jesus had said here 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. For us as individuals to realize that in our weakest moments, it's not our physical well-being that's the most important. It's our spiritual well-being. And we can feed ourselves, and we can sustain ourselves when it comes to our earthly bodies. And you've heard me mention this before. There are a lot of people who are on these health kicks, and God love them if they can eat tofu. Some people may like tofu. I'm sorry if I offended you because you love tofu. I still think you're weird, but <laughs> tofu is disgusting. <laughs> um, people invest so much into healthy foods, and guess what every one of them will still do? They'll still die. And I'm not saying that we should be individuals who don't eat, but I, what I am saying is which do we spend more time as Christians doing, consuming food physically or consuming food spiritually? Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? All the apostles went into town to get some food. And then when they came back, Jesus had already spoken to the woman at the well, and they offered him some food. And you know what Jesus' response was? I have food to eat that you know not of. And then they, asked, they all started asking each other, did somebody bring him food? Did they feed him already? Because they're thinking the physical sustenance side of things was what Jesus Christ was talking about. But when Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know not of, he was speaking of the spiritual nourishment that was necessary for the lady who was at the well to have everything that she needed to enter into a relationship with Jesus. How much time do you spend eating in a day? And is that more or less time than you spend eating in a day? You know, we, and, and please don't misunderstand me when I say this. So many people in this world spend all of their waking hours chasing things that are going to perish. There's nothing wrong with owning a big house. Nothing wrong with owning a nice house. The fact is, when you die, it's going to become somebody else's. And anybody else here have well water, Jefferson County well water? I just cleaned out my water heater again, about doing it once a year now, which everybody's telling me is actually pretty good, doing it once a year. Things break, they wear out. Houses will eventually return to the dust. Cars, they end up in junkyards. They'll rust. I get it. We need a roof over our heads. We need to be able, the ability to be able to get back and forth. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't invest in those things. But I am saying that the things that we invest in, are we at least investing an equal amount of time in spiritual well-being rather than material well-being? Nothing wrong with having material things. But when there are so many material things in our lives that in order for us to own them and maintain them, that we're neglecting ourselves spiritually, something's off kilter. When Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. To live on, 
You eat food, goes into your stomach, produces energy, and it performs its function. Same thing happens with spiritual food. You consume it, it goes in, it, it applies its intended effect, and then it's supposed to come out. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, by the way, is the verse that Jesus Christ quoted back to Satan. If you wanted to write that down. The devil took him into the holy city, verse 5, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The Jewish historian Josephus had written, he's a, histori he, a historian who recorded a lot of things, um, says he believed that this was the southeast corner of the temple. Southeast corner of the temple was the temple mount. There was a retaining wall that went from the top of the temple all the way to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. It was a 450-foot drop. If you could imagine, we're talking just a couple couple hundred feet, less than 200 feet shy of the height of the arch. The devil takes him up there and he says, jump. And one of the most, one of the most interesting things in this passage of scripture was Satan didn't just appeal to Jesus Christ's deityship. But he quoted Psalms chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. Satan did. Satan used God's word, twisted it, to try to get Jesus to do what it was that he wanted him to do. And people would say, well, why in the world is he trying to just get Jesus to turn stone? What's the big idea? Jesus Christ turning a stone into bread? Jesus Christ jumping off the temple so that the Father could... Um, prove himself by sending angels to catch him? You guys remember several chapters after this. And every time that Jesus Christ was asked to do something, what his response was? It is not yet my time. The big deal wasn't so much what would be being accomplished by Jesus to do these things as much as it would be the devil manipulating Jesus Christ into using his power that he had set aside for the purpose of becoming a human being. If Jesus Christ had been seen at this particular point in his ministry jumping off of a 450-foot-high wall and he was slowly carried to the ground by angels, what would it do with Jesus Christ's entire mission? It's over. Did you know that God's timing is just as important as God's will? Those two things actually walk hand in hand. Anybody else in here pray, Lord, give me patience, but hurry up? God's will is important, but his timing is also important. And Satan many times will try to get us to do things before we're ready to do them, before the Lord has actually equipped us to do them. 
and, and I appreciate the excitement. Don't get me wrong, I, I really appreciate when I see someone who has given their life to Christ and are so excited that they want to jump in with both feet. And it's important for us as individuals to not pour water on that fire, but it's also extremely important for us to understand that God has his timing. We want to do what the Lord wants us to do, but we also want to do it when the Lord wants us to do it. He knows better than we do. We just have to be patient, capable of hearing him, expecting to hear from him, and ready to go when we do hear from him. So Satan is doing everything he can to try to get Jesus Christ to show himself because he knows that that would be the end of it. By the way, verse 5, that's the boastful pride of life. Verse 7 says, Jesus said to him, On the other, other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. Now people say, how can the devil say all of these things I will give you? The fact is, folks, and if you want to sit down and talk to me about this sometime, I'd be happy to. The Bible's clear. The prince and the power of the air of this world is Satan. He is the little G God of this planet. He is the one who is in control of this planet. Mind you, God has the ability to stick his hand in where he will, to push the will of the devil away, to thwart whatever it is that the devil's doing. He has the power to do that, but in many and most cases, he does not. He doesn't because whatever is going on in our life is being used for his purpose. And there is no greater slap in the face to the devil than for God to take agony and the pain that Satan puts us through and then turns it to use it to glorify himself to fulfill his purpose and his plan. You ever go through things in your life, whether they're health difficulties, the passing of someone that you love, and you ask why? Been there? Ultimately, though, we as individuals have to learn to be individuals who trust God. I know I don't serve a cruel God, I know I serve a God who genuinely cares. And the question really is, am I okay with God using me in any way that he sees fit? See, the things that go on in this world that are bad, it's not God doing them. It's Satan doing them. But God will use it. In my hillbilly logic, I've said for a long time that God can cause a rose to grow out of a manure pile. And there's scripture to back it up. He can make all things to the good to those who know him and are called according to his purpose. 
So the question I ask myself is, do I work for him or does he work for me? Because there are growing numbers of people in this world today who are under the understanding that he works for us. But he's not been called to serve us. We've been called to serve him. I said 20 years ago that I would love nothing more than to have a blue Dodge Ram pickup, four doors, full eight-foot bed, four-wheel drive. Took me 19 years to get a Dodge Ram. It ain't blue. It doesn't have an eight-foot bed. And the only way I got it was my little brother died. Satan can do anything that he wants to. The question is, will I allow him to do anything to me that will cause me to pull glory, honor, and praise from God? When we say, here I am, send me. When we say, Lord, I am yours. You have bought me for a price. Use me however you will. Do we mean it? Verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him, all the, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. We talked about serving him, but what about serving him only? The Bible's gone so far as to call individuals who serve two gods adulterers. We may not be individuals who dedicate ourselves 100% to the Lord and his cause, but is it okay to be someone who... Gives ourselves 50%? That falls into the category of the individuals in Revelation, the church in Laodicea, who are lukewarm. And he said, I would that you were hot or cold. Since you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. By the way, that was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. After Jesus Christ quoted this passage of scripture, verse 11 says, The devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Remember that passage of scripture that I said, Psalms chapter 91, that the devil used and twisted to try to use against Jesus? The angels came and began to minister to him? That's a fulfilled prophecy as well. And guess where that prophecy is at? Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 through 13. The exact passage of scripture that Satan tried to use 
to push Jesus off course, the Father fulfilled the way that he intended it to be fulfilled. But it only happened because Jesus stayed the course. It's impossible for us to be individuals who do what it is that we do and to do it perfectly. Thank God he's written into he's written into our capabilities his forgiveness and repentance. And then this next passage of scripture, if you'll take a look with me quickly, verse 12 says, now when he had heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Now it's important for us to note that a considerable amount of time has happened in, uh, in between verse 12 and verse 13. Uh, the gospel according to Luke chapter 4 tells us that Jesus went back to Nazareth and the Nazarites tried to kill Jesus and then Jesus left and went to Galilee. So then in 13, it says, on leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was, pro- what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentile, the people who were sitting in darkness, and to those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This passage of scripture in Galilee was given to us because Galilee was known as a place um, where Gentiles frequented. It was a place where Gentiles usually came in contact with individuals involved in Judaism. Gentiles were baptized by Jews when they were joining into Judaism. Now the baptisms that went on previous to John the Baptist as well as the baptisms that went on, um, some of them, when John the Baptist was there, when it talked about individuals being lining up on the Jordan, baptism back then was a baptism of righteousness. It was a, it was a commitment of individuals who decided that they were going to live their lives differently. Previous to John the Baptist, previous to Jesus Christ, or baptism in Jesus Christ, those baptisms were known as baptisms of righteousness. At the time that John was doing baptisms, even though they were baptisms of righteousness, they were also a, a foreshadowing of baptisms to repentance. Anybody want to guess when John the Baptist baptized? What he said? Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The exact same words that Jesus Christ spoke after he moved into the region of Galilee. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our relationship with Christ, and at this particular point, when Jesus Christ started his ministry, it changed everything when it came to an individual's ability to have a relationship with God. It went from everything being external symbolism, an external relationship with an external God, 
to everything being put in motion for us to have a relationship, an internal relationship with an internal God. Change your ways, change your heart, change your mind. Because all that God has created for himself is being called. Is the expanded paraphrase of that verse. All that God has called, all that God has created being called. Change your heart, change your mind. The Bible continually tells us, Romans chapter 12, it tells us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The book of Corinthians calls us a new creature, a complete and total change, not from not as individuals who change what we do outwardly, but individuals who, cha- who are changed inwardly. Because when we change the inside, what happens automatically to the outside? And the Jews had it backwards for their entire history. And there are people who are walking around the earth now who have it backwards. They think in order for them to be better, they have to physically be better. But I can tell you as someone who's been a Christian, who's been in ministry for 30 years, that if you want to change your actions, all you got to do is let Jesus in. That's all you got to do is let Jesus in. When we let Jesus in, We don't change. He changes us. Satan has become crafty in all of his years of existence. He will convince us that things are our fault that aren't our fault. He will hold things over our head, which in and of itself will manipulate scripture or the application of it with the choices that we make. With everything that Satan does, he desires to bind us. And Jesus Christ is the chain breaker. He's the way maker. As individuals who are going to trust in him, we have to trust in him wholeheartedly. And just because the devil decides to try to convince us that he can make something easy, he never does mention the cost of that. Because in my experience, the cost is always heavy. Sin. Take you way farther than you want to go and cost you way more than you want to pay. Life in Christ. Forgiveness. Unmerited favor. Christianity is not about being perfect. It's about being repentant. It's about trusting in a God so much that regardless of how good what the devil offers us may look, we know that God has the ability to give it to us better. I don't know about you, but every time that I go and eat a meal, I prefer to eat off a clean plate. We went to Texas Roadhouse the other day. Looking at the menu, 16-ounce ribeye. I have a ribeye weakness. Anybody else? 
But man, you look just a little bit farther down that menu list, and there is a 20 ounce bone in ribeye. <laughs> 16 ounce ribeye is what the devil's offering us. And it sounds good, and it looks good, and there are parts of it, to be honest with you, that would be very satisfying. But because we aren't looking close enough, we don't realize that there's a 20-ounce bone-in ribeye on the menu, too. Jesus wants us to have a life. A life that's full of him. A life that is full of everything that he has to extend to us. And it's not about choosing the things that God wants for us. It's not about choosing the things that Satan wants for us. It's just simply about choosing God. Christ. I've lived in this fallen world almost as long as everybody in here. And I know the reality of it. And I'm not a preacher who's going to stand up here and pretend. Life is hard. It has its challenges and it has its struggles. But I want you to be encouraged with this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you do go through, Jesus wants to use you to lead others to himself. Those who are lost to find salvation. Those who know him to know him more. Can you say that the life that you're living now is doing that? We'll see a whole lot less when our, ch when our chins are down. We have every reason in the world to hold our chins up high and trust him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The age of God changing hearts is at hand. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.